Fireside, and uh, thanks for joining us. It's the Sunday after Easter, and oh man, it was so good to actually see people's faces. So thank you guys for, for coming out, um, and we are just so thankful that we had a good day. Um, band, you guys just did awesome. Parents, you guys did awesome. And I am just looking forward to doing that more. And we are going to do that weekly. And the hope is to start May 9th, Sunday morning. And that will just kind of continue. And then we will be meeting weekly. The question is where? So we're still trying to figure that out. Possibly um, where we were at Salisbury Elementary School. Possibly at another school under one of their tents. Um, maybe inside, maybe in a church. We're trying to figure it all out. And then we are on um, uh, the radar to maybe someday go back inside Salisbury Elementary School, but we're just taking it day by day. But May 9th, and uh, we're still figuring out all the details, uh, what we're going to do with kids and, and all that stuff. But I'm excited. But until then, we are meeting at our house on Wednesday nights, tables. So if you're not in a table, connect with us. You can email, text me, um, whatever it may be. You can text 97,000, text that number, and text the word fireside. And in the comments, you can just say, hey, I'm going to be in the table. And we're trying to connect everybody in because we are in a new season. And so we just want to uh, uh, do the best we can with what we have. But we're still on this online um, format. Um, maybe you're listening on our, our podcast, Spotify. I'm just thankful that you're listening, tuning in, because uh, this is kind of finishing our Easter series, you know, the, the story to glory. And today I want to talk about the resurrection to restoration. And so if you miss on Sunday morning Easter, you can check that out. Um, this is kind of continuing that a little bit. But I want to first start off with a scripture, and I want to read from Revelations 21. I know when we think Revelations, we think uh, intimidation, it's kind of scary, end times, uh, apocalyptic, all this stuff. But um, I, I just, let's read this because there is hope in here, and we're going to tease it out, and we're going to talk a lot about heaven. And this is something that's been on my heart, and my guess is been on some of your hearts as well as we see a world that just seems like it's just broken. So Revelations chapter 21 verses 1 through 5. Then this is the John. John writes this. He's um, in prison on an island most likely in a tower and he gets this vision from the Lord that God says you know write this down. People need to know about this. So he writes this down. <clears throat> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them in their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for being a God who loves us, who is on a mission to restore not just us, 
but your earth. <laughs> Lord, that we look forward to that new heaven and that new earth coming together where we can dwell with you, Lord, in your midst. Speak to us this morning in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just put that revelation on hold for a second and then kind of go back to maybe your past or, or my past. If you grew up in a church, um, if you have a perception of church, Sunday school, you may have been taught something like this in a simple view. And, and before I say it, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with this view, but I just feel like it kind of paints a God that is maybe not as accurate, the perception that we can get. And it kind of goes like something like this, right? You uh, make this decision, right? Um, either God, you accept Jesus, you say this prayer, and then because of that prayer, Jesus come in my heart, you get a ticket, right? And just a metaphorical ticket. And then when you die, there is God or, you know, Saint Peter, whoever's at the pearly gates, and you say, hey, I got my ticket, Jesus, and say, come on in. And if you don't, you're like, uh, no ticket. And they say, ah, I'll send you to hell, and you go to hell, you know? And that's kind of the simplest version of Christianity or the gospel, right? You know, you know, Jesus is your ticket to heaven. And that's true. Jesus is your ticket, I guess you want to say it that way, to heaven. But if you've been brought up like that, it can kind of paint God in a, in a God who's sending people to hell. Um, a very simplistic view that it is based on what you say that gets you into heaven or what you do that gets you in heaven. And that kind of like brings it down. I remember one of my best friends growing up, he said this prayer when we were in seventh grade. And I remember it was a sleepover and we were excited. And he really was all in, all in for Jesus. And for a couple of years, his life kind of transformed. And then later on in college, he kind of uh, started straying away from this faith. And he's saying, you know, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I'm questioning. I actually, I don't believe this anymore is what he said. But he said, but if I'm wrong, I said the prayer. So I have eternal security. So I got my ticket. And I remember thinking that didn't feel right. Like That's not really how it goes. If you've been to Fenway Park recently, and then actually for the last 20, 30 years, there's this guy that has this poster, you know what I'm talking about? And in this poster, it has, you know, this fire, people burning, and it says hell. It says, where are you going? And you're looking at it, and you're like, oh, man, that's, that's just awful. And, and then he kind of points to you. He's like, are you going to burn? You know, and, and you're like, I don't want to burn. It's like, receive Jesus. You're like, okay, I'll do whatever it takes. And, 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 and it's this fear tactic that God is a God of destruction. And, and we've minimized it to like a decision, but I feel like there's just so much more. Because when we view God as a God that likes to destroy, that has pleasure almost in sending people to hell, destroying, it's, it's a God that people are like, that's not something that I want to believe in, nor put my trust in. And, and I'm hoping that this morning we can kind of unveil some certain things and say, no, God is not a God of destruction, but he's a God of restoration. Because if you minimize it, then it just becomes about something you say. When I was a youth pastor years ago, I remember one of my first years, we took kids to a thing called the Super Bowl. And this is not Tom Brady's Super Bowl, but it was this all-nighter. It was a kid's dream and a leader's nightmare. They would rent out this, uh, you go to this minor league hockey game, and then you would hear like a, a, 
a speech after, and then they would rent out a bowling alley and a roller rink and a, a gym, and you're just up from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and the kids are just doing whatever they want, and it is the worst thing ever for, for an adult. But the kids loved it. And so after the hockey game, everyone cleared up, and this guy comes on like they usually do, and he gives this message, a simple message, and he asked people to say this prayer. And it's and he does it in a way of painting hell and heaven. He's like, well, what do you want to go? Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell and burn and eternal suffering? And if you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. And of course, all the kids I brought rose their hand. I'm like, I, I, I'm not going down there, you know? And so I had to debrief them after and say, okay, why did you make this decision? And we walked, we went around the circle and I remember one kid, he, he, I said, well, why'd you raise your hand? He's like, I thought if I raised my hand, then I would get an iPad. And I'm like, no, you're not gonna get an iPad. He's like, I'm not getting an iPad? I'm like, no, no, I thought that, that's what the guy said. And that's kind of the paint, the picture we've painted, you know, that we serve a God of destruction who destroys. And again, it's true. Jesus is the way. Jesus is our ticket to heaven. But it's not just a decision that you make. You know, I, I don't want to say decision. The decision you make should impact every decision you make. I'm going to say that again. The decision to follow Jesus should impact every decision you make in this life that your life should be a reflection of who you follow. Do you follow Jesus or do you follow the world? And God wants you so badly to follow him because it's not just about life eternal, but it's also about life now, that God can restore and give you life now. His desire is to restore you here on earth, but in eternity, restore the earth. But we have to put things in perspective a little bit about a God of destruction. I remember in school, one of my teachers saying the first day of school, you all start off with an A. You all have an A and it's your job to lose it. If you do hard work, if you study, if you do your homework, if you come to class, then that A remains yours. And I think that we think the same as heaven. When we are born, you are all going to heaven. All of you guys are going to heaven, but it's your job to lose it. And if you do good works and if you work really hard, you can maintain your eternal destination in heaven. But if not, well, then I'm sending you to hell. And that's kind of this perception we get, but that's not true. Paul says this in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Say right there, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. We've all fallen short. So therefore, heaven is not our default destination. Actually, because we're all sinners, our default destination is actually hell. And that sounds bad. And God wants to save us from that. And he wants to restore us. And he paid that price on the cross saying, no, 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 no. I want to take your sin and I want your life to be a reflection of that. It's not something we work for. It's something we receive that changes how we work. We 
can't work for God's love or mercy. We can't work for God's grace. We can receive it. And in doing so, it will change how we live. Again, your decision to follow Jesus should impact every decision. But so many people, and this is where I think the church has seen things differently, is that they see a God of destruction. This destruction, if you let, like Jonah, many of you know the story of Jonah and the whale. But the reason why Jonah was in the whale, because he didn't want to share the good news of God to this city called Nineveh. He didn't like the Ninevites. He thought they were awful people. And he's like, they don't deserve God. So finally, because God pretty much made him swallow him up in a fish and spit him out, he goes and he says, you know, repent, repent, man, change your ways, change your ways, follow God. And they do. They listen. And he actually gets upset with that. And he goes on this cliff and he's like, I just want to watch Nineveh burn. They deserve destruction. And then God like says like, Jonah, don't you think I love them also? I created them. You know, why would I destroy them? They're my people. You know, I love them. I created them. And, and Jonah gets mad about it. Like, I don't deserve you, God. Destroy them. And this is the view the church has. It's like, hey, you're either with us, you know, and, you, and you're doing the things that we do and everything out there. I hope you go to H-E double hockey stick. But this is not Jesus. Right? Jesus in Luke 23, when he's hanging on the cross, the soldiers that are mocking him are whipping him. The soldiers that are killing him, the response that Jesus has was this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He, he doesn't say, you're going to pay for this. <laughs> you, you know who you're dealing with. You're in the wrong, I'm in the right, and you will pay for this. This is the view of a destruction, destructive God. But instead, he says, he doesn't say you're going to pay for this. He says, please receive and recognize that I have paid for this. The people that were killing him, hanging him on the cross, one of the most gruesome, brutal deaths that, that existed at that time, he recognized a love for them. No, not you're going to pay for this, but would you receive my payment for this? And then the thief who's next to him. And one thief, one thief on the other side is, is, is mocking him and the other is like, this is your God. And he says, because you recognize this, he said, today you will be in paradise with me. He didn't even have time to do all the works that we believe are needed to get into heaven. He just needed to accept the free gift, even at the end. And many people get mad about that. Well, he doesn't deserve that. The, the reality is, nor do you. But that's his love. And if we have this view of a God of restoration and not destruction, it will change how we live. It will make us not fear death. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. For to me to live is Christ, is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. It's like, do I choose life? Do I choose death? 
I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul is saying, I would rather die and be with Jesus than to live. It is a better choice. And you think, how does one say that? And here's why I think, I think Paul had a glimpse of heaven. We know he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, I know a man, and when he says I know a man, almost every scholar believes that Paul is talking about himself. I know a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether he was in the body, I cannot tell, or whether he was out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows, who was taken up into the third heaven. And I know that same man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knows, how he was taken up into paradise and heard words not to be spoken, which no man can utter. People do the math and they say about 14 years ago in a city called Lystra that Paul and scripture say was stoned almost to death and they believe maybe this is when he was getting that glimpse of heaven. He had a near-death experience of what many people call it today. But when he had that glimpse, the reality, being with Jesus, seeing the new, seeing heaven, the current heaven, and we'll get to that in a moment, it changed how he lived. When Ellie passed, we've been hearing stories. Um, Ellie passed uh, late early, early Wednesday morning at like around 3 to 4 a.m. Earlier than that, actually, 2 a.m. But on that Monday night before, there are people in this garage here worshiping, um, and other people, my sister in California and other people, and they, um, seven different people had visions and or dreams of Ellie in heaven with Jesus. Now, I don't know, we don't put, you know, too much stock in it, but it does give us encouragement. Seven people, seven people, dreams and visions, and maybe there's more out there. And it makes you think, you know what? Heaven's real. And, and with that perspective, it will change how you live, where you can be like Paul and be like, you know what? To die is gain. But, as he says, I have a mission here. I have a mission here. So let's dive into heaven for a little bit. What's heaven like? I think we know more than we think we know. I think we know more than you think we probably know. I've, I've been reading a lot because I've been, I'm tied to heaven right now because my daughter's there. So our family's incomplete. You know, five in this earth, one in, with, with Jesus in heaven excited for that day to be reunited. N.T. Wright, a theologian, says this. He talks about this far side comic when he describes heaven and, and he kind of describes this comic as like, no, 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 we have a wrong view, but it's a, it's a guy, two guys on a cloud, one playing the harp and they're floating around and one guy looks at the other and says, I really wish I had brought a magazine because it was just so boring. 
And, and, and I think that's our view. We've, we view heaven as this place in the clouds. It's like Care Bear land. And we think, well, this is going to get awfully boring. And actually, I've actually heard people talk about hell, the opposite. It's like, you know, if all my friends are going down there, we can do whatever we want. It's going to be a big party, so why not? And with those two views, hey, you know, just worshiping God and serving God and floating around on clouds, that doesn't sound like a good place. And it could make you get depressed and be like, you're right, so I'm going to live it up here now because it doesn't really matter. And that is such a wrong view of heaven. Randy Alcuff, uh, the author of a book called Heaven, he says this, if heaven is unimaginable, then why even try? Everything pleasurable we know about life on earth we have experienced through our senses. So when heaven is portrayed as beyond the reach of our senses, it doesn't invite us. Instead, it alienates and even frightens us. Our misguided attempts to make heaven sound spiritual merely succeeds in making heaven sound unappealing. I can't understand it. It's spiritual, so it frightens me. It's something that I don't want. But I just want to say that from what I'm reading is the opposite. And from what I hear is the opposite. So John says this in Revelations, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away. So right now we're on the first earth and God dwells in the first heaven, the intermediate heaven as someone says. But that's not going to last forever because God is in the process where he will bring the heaven, make it a new heaven and earth and God will dwell with us on this earth. He will restore this earth and we will be restored. Our bodies will be resurrected new bodies because you may be thinking well well i'm thinking well i don't there's some parts of my body like and some like i wish i had hair and whatnot we don't know the details but we do know that it will be the best version of ourselves the version that god has created us to be we'd be fully restored on this earth with god as it was in the garden of eden you know when michelangelo created the, the david the, this famous sculpture one thing that separated him from other sculptors is that he would look at this big block of granite and he could see David in it. And so what he tried to do was, I'm just going to chip away everything that doesn't belong. And by taking the way of things that don't belong, what was left was something fabulous, this masterpiece. And that's what God is gonna do. He's gonna take everything that's wrong in the world because he said his creation was good. When he created the earth, it was good. And he doesn't want to destroy it. He wants to restore it. There are actually multiple verses that talk about the restoration of earth and heaven and, and the final destination of a resurrection. But there's only four verses that talk about what happens when we die. And all we know is, you know, where Ellie is and with, if you have loved ones that, you know, are, are have, have passed and, and they are with Jesus, right? They're with Jesus. And we don't know in the intermediate heaven, that's what we know, that's what those visions are. But there's going to be a day when God comes to earth New Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth, and it's going to be 
awesome. And, and I started not liking this kind of this restoration, this resurrection, because I like the view of kind of like, all right, this earth is going to burn and I'm going to get teleported out of here and go to heaven, whether it be in the clouds, wherever it may be. I liked that version. Many of you probably had that version when you were growing up or currently, because I look at the world now and I'm like, the world is so broken. It deserves to be destroyed, right? This is the destruction mode. Destroy it, God. Take me out, destroy the earth, and we will live in heaven and whatever it is. We'll be worshiping and all that great stuff. But that's not really it. God's like, no, I'm going to restore the earth to the creation that I have wanted it to be, and I'm going to restore you. But then I started to think a little bit more as, as this world's so broken, as my heart is so broken. I started thinking about my relationship with Ellie and the reason why I miss her so much is because of the relationship I had with her on this earth and the love I had for her and the memories. And it made me think, well, maybe there are parts of earth that I like, that I want to be restored. I've been reading a couple books, one, Imagine Heaven, um, a book on heaven and a lot of articles about heaven and um, a lot of them talk about near-death experiences. You know, we believe Paul had a near-death experience. We know John had a vision of heaven. Uh, we also know that Stephen, right before he was martyred, had a near-death He envisioned heaven. And he says this in Acts 7, Full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I kind of want to dive into this a little bit. And I want to put a disclaimer there that I do know that we can take people's testimonies with a grain of salt. There's some people that have made things up for money, some that we just don't really understand. But there's been a lot of people trying to research and try to figure out what these mean. Actually, 17% of people have had near-death experiences. I know some personally, my grandmother. And so what they have found as they have um, taken these out, it says, um, while no two near-death experiences, NDEs, are the same, they are characteristic features that are common observed in NDEs. There's a lot of things that are common. These characteristics include a perception of seeing and hearing apart from the physical body, passing into or through a tunnel, encountering a mystical light, intense and general positive emotions, a review of part or all of their prior life experiences, encountering deceased loved ones and a choice to return to their earthly life. So in the book, Imagine Heaven, he does the same thing, makes a chart that there is a ton of parallels from people around the world who've had similar encounters. Now, these encounters, they came back, right? They didn't stay in heaven. So what looked past that, we don't know, but there's just a glimpse. And so I just want to compare some of these commonalities with what revelations and the Bible says to give us a little bit of a glimpse so that you would have the hope that you wouldn't be fearful of this weird floating in the clouds and care bear land but you're like no this is going to be amazing and I could live like Paul it says for me to die is gain 
And so this mystical light, this is something that what I've read is so many people who have these experiences talk about this light. Revelations 1, this is what John says. Someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. He's talking about this light. Then he says in Revelations 22, 5, they will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. And this is what many people have reported that there is no sun, that the light comes, stems from Jesus himself. Many, many reports are saying this. Many of them are not even believers or nor have they even read the Bible. A girl from Lithuania the girl who was this prodigy painter. She's four years old. She was raised as an atheist. And, and she dies and she says, Today I met God. God is light, warm, and good. And she says she couldn't even paint Jesus because there was no paper white enough to paint what she actually saw. Another little girl, three-year-old. And I, and I bring these kids up over the thousands because they're so innocent. Katie, a three-year-old who choked on a nut and died but came back, she said, I went to this presence which was with, within a brilliant sunlight bright space. And people keep talking about the bright light. It was just, just, you can't describe it. This girl, Katie, impacted her so many, so much that she actually went on to get a doctorate in theology. There has been over 30 reports of people who were blind who would have these experiences and try to describe light when they've never even seen light. 14 of these 30 were people who were actually born blind, so they have no acknowledgement of what sight looks like, and they're trying to describe something when all they have seen is blackness, and they're describing light, and, and people can't make sense of it. They're light, they're eyes are fully restored and what they talk in vivid imagery is just so beautiful and goes along with revelations a lot of people say well what are we going to do there we will have purpose we are still us but we are the best version of ourselves we know that we will rule with god in the Garden of Eden, he gives Adam and Eve a job, you know, take care of my garden, rule with me. Revelation 20 says, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, if we endured hardships, we will reign with him. Revelation talks about this new city, the new Jerusalem. And, and a city is a life that's vibrant, that there's things where we will have purpose. The Garden of Eden will be restored. We will work the garden. I imagine, and, and I'm not a farmer, but the little things I've dabbled into it, my favorite part is when you harvest, when you, we have some of these strawberry plants and you're just picking ripe strawberries. To me, that's not work. That's just satisfying. Like, oh, this is awesome. The work is the toil, right? And we don't need to do that part. We just reap the harvest. You know, like, oh, I can pluck the most delicious fruit in the world. Sign me up. That's a garden I want to be a part of. But it talks about flowing rivers. 
Revelation 22 verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright crystal flowing from the throne of God, the tree, and then the tree of life. This is what many people, thousands of people have talked about, that there's this beautiful river. And, and that's what it, it will be like. It will be a city, but also be like a garden that we get to be a part of. And I love that. I, I, re, I remember when I was in Guatemala, me and my buddy, we would go on these weekend excursions while we were there. And we went to a place called Samuk Chempe, which was, we saw posters and be like, that looks like heaven. And we went there and it was awesome. It was this rolling waterfall that would be in these little pools. And these pools would be like aqua, blue, green. And it would just come from, you know, these hot springs. And it was just like this picturesque place and we spent the whole day swimming jumping all these waterfalls and swimming in these pools and I looked like you know what there's a glimpse of heaven right there another commonality and this is one that I really want to hit home because it shows a God of restoration not destruction is that people said there's this intense general positive emotions that so many people say it is love like no other even my grandmother she had an experience on the, on the ambulance after a heart attack. So I was in the arms of Jesus, and it was just love. John says this in the beginning of Revelations 1.5, To him who loves us, God who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. John also says this in 1 John 4.16, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is Imagine being a place that is pure love, the presence of pure love, something that we search for. An article I read from the Washington Post had a sampling of people who had near-death experiences. And it says, no human can ever, and it says, in the, um, in the responses they provided, he was struck by the remarkable consistency that they had. So I want to read a few of these uh, quotes that they said. One says, no human can ever love with the love I felt in that light. It is all consuming, all forgiving. Nothing matches it. It is like the day you looked into the eyes of your child for the first time, magnified a million times. It's indescribable. Another says, I felt the presence of pure love. This is very hard to describe. Everything made sense. God exists. God is love. We are love and love creates all that is. I was surrounded by pure love. First, I was cold and in pain, but then I was warm and comforted. Someone says, God loves us all infinitely. Another, I felt God as an all-encompassing presence, complete, total, and unconditional love in its highest form. I was surrounded by God's unconditional love, which was so much greater than human love. I was given the knowledge that God is real and loves me unconditionally. He exists and he is real and he is love. Another, I came to realize that God is more loving and caring than I could ever imagine. Another, the entire encounter was about God, the ultimate power of God and God's forgiveness. The message was love is the greatest power in the universe. Another, love was everywhere. It permeated the afterlife. It was incredible. Another, I was loved unconditionally despite my faults and fears. Another, this love was unique. I felt completely safe. Nothing bad could happen. I was no longer in pain and all my worries and fears were left behind with my body. Not many can even the slightest idea of what this love is like. 
And they go on and on and on. And, 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 and here's my hope for you, that you would just take this and receive it and say, you know, I don't understand it, but I'm excited for it. The point is this. God loves you. He wants to be with you forever. He's, and he's after his people. And he will go to unmeasurable measures, even sending his son to die on the cross in order to spend eternity with you. He doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to restore you. And this isn't just in America. <laughs> I was talking to my sister about um, Muslim Ramadan, and she says during this time where they're spending a ton of time in prayer, that we need to be praying for them. Because I have known Muslims, and I know there's thousands of others, that during their prayer time, Jesus shows up in their dreams and changes their life. He's after everyone is created by him and for him, and he wants them to know that. So even if you were brought up in a different religion, in a different country, he's still pursuing them. The fastest growing church right now in the world. You know where it is? Iran. Iran is growing more than anyone at a rate of 5.2%. Where we're declining in the States, they are inclining, they are increasing. He's on the move. He wants people to know who he is. The if gathering, this woman's gathering, we were watching and I said, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to spoil it because I just thought it was so amazing. If you didn't see it, you know, we can give you the login to watch it. But they interviewed a missionary who married a Middle Eastern woman and they together they're there working in the church. But they wouldn't give where, what country or his name. So his, he was blurred out and his voice was altered. But he was talking about all these dreams that Jesus is showing up everywhere. And he talks about the story about hearing about a guy and um, that... Uh, uh, had 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 a visitor, and so they went to his house. And said, "Well, tell me about it." He's like, "Well, every day, a guy in a white robe comes to my little house, and he tells me to write this down." And so he'd say, "Well, can I read what you wrote down?" And it said, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." And he had the majority of the Gospel of John written down. He never even seen a Bible. He didn't even know who Jesus was, but. Jesus was visiting him, or an angel, I don't know which, and he was telling him to write down the Gospel of John. I mean, he's, this, is, this is the God we serve. That He's like, I don't want to destroy you. I want to restore you. Would you receive my payment? Would you receive my gift? Not just for the eternal, but for the now. That I want to make you and restore you as a new creation right now. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is in a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God is trying to restore us now as well. This is why we are told to pray in Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's on the move. And and. I know we won't fully grasp what a painless, tearless place would be. But our motivating factor is not a, I don't want to burn. No, no, our motivating factor is like, I just want to be in the presence of love. I want to be restored to who you created me. You know me, God, you created me. I want to be the 
who, who I am. And I want to start now. So God, fill me up now. Help me be that person now. Even though we live in a broken world and I'm going to fall short over and over again. Help me, Lord. Knowing that one day I will be fully restored. That earth will be fully restored. That you will dwell with us as you did in Garden of Eden, that we get to be with you and we get to hug you and be your arms and we get to feel that all-encompassing love that so many have talked about, that what John talked about in Revelations, we get to be with you. And I want to leave you with this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. Whose will are you trying to live for? God's will or your will? Because God's going to give you what you want. Meaning, hey, you don't want me in your picture? I want you in my picture. But, but love is not forced, so you have to receive it. But if you don't want me, I'm going to try everything to change that. But at the end, it, it is your decision. Because love is not something that can be forced. So, as I ended last week in Easter, Colossians 3.1, see your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let's live with that perspective. And anyone we counter say, you know, there's times where I'm in traffic in Boston, especially when we're going to the hospital, I'm looking around like, Man, God loves that person. God loves that person. God loves them. He doesn't want to destroy them. He wants to restore them. Oh, man, God loves them all. He loves them. He loves them. And he loves you. He's not a God of destruction. He's a God of restoration. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, view eternity and live it out on earth. Oh, Jesus, thank you for loving us that we don't deserve it, but you do. Lord, I pray, Lord, as you're with my little girl right now, Lord, that you are just holding her tight. And all those others that we love so much, Lord, that loved you, that you are just holding them tight, Lord. We know you are, and they are in paradise, as you had said. And we await the restoration of putting all things back to how you wanted them to be in the first place, a place that is good. So, Lord, the decision we make to follow you, let it impact every decision we make on this earth knowing, Lord, that to die is to gain. But we have a mission here, Lord. So give us the power, give us the opportunities to live out the lives that you've created us to live. And it's in your name we pray, amen. We love you all. Have a good one.